The Sports Career Podcast, episode 351, how to create a sporting equals approach in the sports industry. and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Grid Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports policy and how policy can be activated within society. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Simon Webb, who is Head of Marketing and Communications at Sporting Equals, which is a nationwide charity working on race inclusion in sport and physical activity, where they partner with Sport England, Sport Scotland, working with the government and national governing bodies to activate partnerships and corporate partners to deliver policy change and community projects within the sports industry and society. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Simon as a podcast special guest. And in this episode, Simon will share his sports career journey and explain to you why having a sporting equals approach in the sports industry can help you be a better sport industry professional working in sport. Have a listen and enjoy. Simon, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Yes, certainly. So thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, Very happy to be here. Um, So I guess my sports career goes back a while, probably back to uh, my first proper hockey club, uh, playing for Ely City Hockey Club, where I just wanted to help get a bit of publicity uh, for for the team, uh, writing match reports and doing a little bit of photography. Then heading off to uni uh, at University of Southampton, uh, I was responsible for the website. Uh, This is before social media was such a big thing. I think Facebook came out during my fresher year. So it wasn't quite so important back then. Um, and at the same time, I also joined the student newspaper uh, as the sports editor. And we, we picked up a Guardian Media Award for best website, which was nice. Uh, yeah, after, after uni, I guess marketing communications was a pretty consistent thing for me career-wise. And, and so was sport. Uh, not always married uh, between the two. Sometimes it was volunteering. Sometimes it was working in sport. Um, a lot of the time in, in marketing communication and in various different jobs for the likes of play.com or working with Samsung and so on. Uh, and then sports wise, I kind of really got the volunteer bug um, volunteering at the European Hockey Championships in 2007, doing a bit of uh, website content, interviews, lots of different things. Kind of had a bucket list of I wanted to work at the Olympics. So I worked on the website and social media for London 2012. Uh, the Commonwealth Games, which I managed to take off the list uh, last summer, uh, Tour de France, uh, and also to, to work at events in other countries as well and experience that. I had a bit of a, a, a blip, I suppose you could call it. Back in, I, 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 in 2017, I, I took on ownership of a, of a magazine called Velovision, uh, which was a um, publication focusing on weird types of bikes is how I used to describe it. So anything that's not normal, so tricycles, cargo bikes, um, 
velomobiles, anything that's not your normal standard upright, uh, sort of conventional cycling. Um, whilst I was doing that, I needed a bit of a secure income because I was going self-employed. Uh, so I worked at Decathlon, um, just took a part-time job, but fell in love with it very quickly. And then a bit of serendipity struck in uh, April 2018, I think it was. Uh, the worst April Fool's prank ever. I got paralyzed uh, and blind. Um, so that made running my own business fairly challenging. But as I recovered and as I got better slowly, an opportunity at Decathlon to work more hours came up and to work in hockey again as my passion. Uh, so I was responsible for hockey for the UK and part of the international management team. Uh, so working quite regularly across uh, Belgium, France and the Netherlands. That then led to further opportunities with Decathlon where I was uh, part of the international communications team, also part of what we call the vision team. So looking at who Decathlon is, what it is, where does it fit in the world, uh, which was one of the most wonderful experiences of my life, both professionally and just personally. Lastly, being part of the UK marketing communications team, where I learned a great deal uh, before heading over to, to Sporting Equals, uh, which I, I ended up with Sporting Equals having spoken at the Include Summit, which is kind of the biggest uh, sports inclusion summit in the UK, um, speaking about how sports brands could be more inclusive. Edie and I, it's been a passion of mine for a long time. It was something I really pushed at the Cathlon, uh, both in the UK and beyond. Um, and the opportunity to work with Sporting Equals uh, to try and help make sport and physical activity more inclusive for ethnically diverse people was something that really appealed to me. And having lived uh, over in America and seeing life in lots of different countries, both in Europe and in, in, in the Middle East, it was just absolutely perfect. So uh, yeah, just coming up for a year with the organisation. Wow, Simon, what an amazing reply. I've got to decode this a little bit. So can we go the early days back at university? Because I think there's an important point here. When you joined the university sort of newspaper and also creating your first website, reflecting how is that supported now, not just a skill set perspective, but also just getting involved and then how it can paint? Because it really does connect the dots from a skill set perspective from that time on the newspaper. So I'm just curious of if there's any students listening to this, the benefits of just getting involved and then figuring it out during the experience. I'd just love to hear your thoughts reflecting on that experience. Yeah, so... um. I Joining the Wessex scene, which is the name of our, our student paper at Southampton, was such a, a, a big thing for me. It made a huge impact on my life. I still have friends to this day from from that publication, like Katie, Claire and Anjali. Um, I learned from some incredible professionals, um, people who, when, when I joined it, were obviously just getting started. But you could see the standards they set were so high and the paper had won a number of awards in the past. So there was an expectation that we had to perform um you learned a lot quickly uh particularly in terms of getting ahead of the game when it comes to planning but also just really being quite meticulous about making sure there's no mistakes get your layout fight for your space as well when i joined the sports section was three pages i think when i left it expanded to six or seven pages uh, i had to fight hard to get to that um but i was quite proud of it i, I back even then was determined to try and include everyone and make sure every sport was covered. So there was an opportunity to network and and learn. So, for example, we did pieces on there was a, a someone called Becky uh, who was a women's umpire from hockey, and giving her a bit of a profile to talk about the challenges she faced as a woman, and then 
her kind of arguing against someone who said actually what's what's the place of women being in officiating and she was able to give the counterpoint um and she did so very articulately uh supporting even the cheerleaders um club and trying to show that cheerleaders weren't just there to simply be eye candy at the side of the pitch we had uh probably at the time the best american football team in the country but we also had probably the best cheerleading squad and if you could look beyond the pom-poms and and all that sort of stuff and actually they were impressive what they did and it was giving them the opportunity to show who they are and what they were about um yeah and, and, and the the big takeaway i guess for a student i mean i'm in awe particularly people like angeli what she's doing today she's gone on to be a senior editor of the guardian senior editor of the new york times um and it's someone who if i need a bit of advice or if i think am I doing this right or wrong? I can go and speak to her and get a bit of input or someone like Claire, who uh, was bizarrely, actually, she was the, the um, live music, um, one of the live music editors, um, but she's now really heavily involved in climate change action uh, behind some of the best ideas. You no doubt will have seen stuff that she has done and led. Um, and then people like Katie, who to this day are still one of my best friends. And again, someone that I can lean on when I need to for support. Um and again, uh, people like Phil, uh, who was our uh, vice president of communications, I think, in the student union at the time, um, now a Labour councillor uh, in in Southampton. Uh, and yeah, just it's it's a wonderful network. But the the people were just, it, uh, and this is something I'll probably touch on a lot. It's just it's the people. The people were fantastic that I met in that publication, and the standards they set are the ones which I've learned to try and mirror and uh to try and install in my team and that's right from you know the earliest point in my career so just to, again i'm digging deep on this point as well how did that experience get you out of your comfort zone of communication because i've learned you actually improve your communication skills even myself on this podcast show but even with that you know three pages on the sports section now turning six pages you know you said it was about networking but reflecting how did it improve your communication skills with the different articles and pieces of content i'm just curious on that point as well so first of all, I think credit to the editor at the time that he was not a particularly sporty person. Um, he was a, a passionate Spurs fan, which is possibly even more damning of his sporting credentials. I think credit to him that he was willing to listen and give it a fair shout and and uh, that he could see there was a good reason to expand the section. Um, a lot of it's proving that there's an audience there uh, and being able to show that it's creating value for them. Listening as well. So I could easily have just safe easy route which i think historically sometimes had happened when i look i I made a habit of going back and looking at previous publications if i could and it almost exclusively was the big sports of football rugby hockey cricket not very much on the women's side next to nothing in terms of ethnic diversity um so i sort of thought okay well i'm pretty confident if we go out and speak to the sailing club or if we go out and speak to the netball team or to the volleyball team or whatever you know we had some very good ones out there if I give them the opportunity to tell their story and to be part of this, they're probably going to say yes. And of course, we still had staples, you know, the, the big sports, if you want to call it that, the ones who were the biggest in numbers as well as the biggest in terms of success. But it was really important to tell the wider story of what sport is, what it gives to people. Uh, and and that came across, I think, through another big thing was improving the quality of photography um and and you know this is a long time ago now i guess unfortunately it was nearly 19 years ago well it would have been 19 years ago yeah um so back then 
social media didn't really exist nowadays we can really see the power of good images good video content um back then it wasn't quite so big um but i could see if we got good quality photography that would be what catches people's eye draws them in and then you can then tell the story of the image through the article Mm -hmm. and one thing i want to touch on now because you said it's so early on before social media you're involved in websites so i've built my own websites and without a doubt it's been one of those skill sets which made me more mindful of how you know to grab attention make it glossy make it look good but from a tech side of things how has that skill set supported you as well because i think i've just learned if you can understand technology not a guru but if you can understand it it makes you very employable so i'm just curious of you getting involved in websites even at 2012 which i'm curious from a skill set perspective how did that support your journey as well yeah i i think I'm lucky I got there just as it was really beginning to kick off. And again, because we had uh, a very good team behind us who had succeeded and done well with it, we had a good foundation. It very quickly established the importance of a good user experience, uh, that they could find what they needed to find quickly and easily, uh, that you didn't have dead links uh, because that would result in a high exit rate. Always analyze things. Just look at what works, what doesn't work. Don't be afraid to experiment a little bit either. I had a, a leader at Decathlon called Charlem, who was a real visionary. Uh, and he was always looking at what can we do differently, but where is it really going to add value? So just do it differently for the sake of it. Think, how will this make the user experience better? What will make them come back next time? Um, and that, for me, probably started back at working on the Wessex scene. Um, making sure that the website was the easiest thing to navigate possible, that uh, images were there correctly. None of those, no formatting errors. Like it, it was really, it was very anal detail, but really important uh, just to remove every single barrier. Uh, and that then has definitely fed through to where I am now, where the slightest little thing on a website, and, and anyone listening to this might have uh, a look at the sporting equals website we are doing a new one it'll be out soon so please don't judge us on our current site uh, the new one's going to be very exciting and we're quite looking forward to that but it, it really set the standard i think back then at university of understanding uh just how important it is to prioritize the user experience and make sure whatever you deliver is going to be relevant to them I'm going to put you on the spot, but did you ever imagine you working within websites because not many people say i'm going to start a apply my skill sets into websites the reason i share this is i want the people listening and if you haven't been involved in websites jump in and you'll learn on the on the job like I, my website's developed five times now there's never the i'm always evolving on it so i this is the final point of website but i think it's just so important because i think our digital footprint meaning involved with our social media channels our personal brand and our website which is included is part of that social digital footprint so i've just would love to hear your thoughts of how you keep evolving in this area from a website standpoint yourself? Yeah, so I, I think I probably wouldn't have said yes, I would see myself working on websites back then. I'm probably quite a generalist career-wise as well. I'm a, a marketing communication. I mean, there are some areas I'm stronger than others. Um, but yeah, the website stuff, uh, it's always been something I have found interesting. Uh, and I think as part of the general opportunity to tell your story and to let people know who you are and what you're about. Like when I was responsible for managing the university hockey clubs, one at um, Southampton, we won an award from um, one of the hockey publications for the best website. And they were looking all over the world when they were doing this. 
And it was because we were quite user-centric. We were doing things like talking about what's going on in terms of the socials. So it's important information on that side, really useful information for freshers looking to join, easy access to understand, okay, if I am an elite performance hockey player, where's the first team? What's it about? Who's the coach? What am I going to get? If I'm picking up a stick for the first time, why should I be playing this sport? So really speaking to different audiences and understanding what they're going to be looking for. Um, and then, yeah, go, going forward, uh, you know, content management systems have evolved. There, are, I think some people would probably cry if they saw what they used to be like. Um, and they're, they're a lot easier these days. Um, not perfect, but they're definitely improving. Um, and yeah, just the ability to jump in and particularly, you know, when you're changing jobs and, and nowadays people move around quite quickly compared to maybe 20, 30 years ago, that ability to adapt uh, and understand it quickly is really important. Um, and some CMS are fantastic and some are awful. Um, but if you, you know, sort of thrown yourself about a bit and tinkered with different ones, you you can really adapt quickly and it's just important to look at what's going on again that's another lesson from decathlon was the sharing of knowledge um you know always looking at what's great uh, and again something that Charlem was fantastic at was getting you to look beyond your your uh your your comfort zone and see what's going on elsewhere and that's something we do um at sporting equals with my team as i say to them if you see something you think's really good i don't care what it's from if it's sports if it's from a race equality background or if it's something completely irrelevant if it's either really really good or really really bad share it with a team and talk about why and an example of that would be was driving down uh from uh dropping the kids off a while ago this was quite a while ago and saw a, a board for selling a house that was shaped like a christmas tree and it really caught my eye because it's not one i'd seen before doing it shaped like a christmas tree. Well, that's really clever but why have they put their phone number on it who uses a phone just put your name on it and people will go and look for it on their they'll look for it on their smartphone. You don't they don't have time to read the phone number. You need to put your brand name across. So I said, really good. They've used the Christmas tree as a shape for a board for selling a house. It's grabbed my attention. But I couldn't tell you what the brand was that did it because I read the phone number instead. And that was the short opportunity I had. Um so I think, yeah, going back to the website thing, it's about looking beyond and understanding what's what's good and and trying to make sure as much as possible you've you've looked at how to make the user experience better at all times. 100%. I hope people are taking notes. Now I want to talk about your passion because you've mentioned this sport and I'd love to to hear more about your passion for hockey because for me, you're the first one. I used to play at school, at university, and I'm just curious why so passionate because it's one of those sports in the UK when you compare to rugby and particularly football. It's it's never been that big commercial, but it, I'm watching a bit more of it, but I'm just curious of your thoughts of the sport where it is now and and the development of it because i know you've been involved from the brand side and being an umpire so can we just tap into this passion and but not just from a playing perspective but sport industry perspective as well sure so um a funny thing about hockey is i actually hated it initially okay Um, explain (laughs) yeah my, my first ever experience was playing just as a kid in a tournament in washington dc so my dad was playing we lived over in america for a few years so first ever experience was just randomly playing over there. Then when we came back over to the UK, got stuck in, but I felt an enormous pressure to be as good as he was. Uh, he he played an extremely high level. He won pretty much every domestic and European title going. And I felt a real pressure to be as good as he was. 
as soon as that pressure was lifted, I started to enjoy it. Um, and for me, it was really the people uh, that did it. So I enjoyed the competitive side of it. I enjoyed winning. I definitely got that side from my dad. Uh, probably some of his dirty antics as well on the pitch. Um, but for me, it was more about the people. Like I, I, An example would be I, I bumped into um, my co-captain from the mixed team at sixth form. We've known each other since we were 13. Uh, her dad was president of my club, real influence on my coaching style. Uh, <clears throat> and genuinely, I, even now talking about bumping into Krista, I'm getting emotional because it was so nice to see her and meet her son meet her um her partner and just talk about hockey and like remember things and it's it's the community side of it it's the people that really does it for me and i think i've been very lucky i've volunteered at a number of different tournaments i'm now a member of international press but also having worked for probably two of the big brands in 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 the sport it meant that i was working across belgium holland france and even though geographically they're also close there's a huge difference culturally from each country. And then going over to Oman, visiting my parents when we lived in the Middle East and seeing hockey there. And again, how different it is. I mean, it's wildly different in the Middle East uh, to over here. The same for India, for the North America, South America. So uh, similar to football, I guess, you know, there's lots of differences and lots of similarities. But ultimately, it's the people uh, in the sport which do it for me. But I, I think I've met so many genuinely incredible people through the sport who have helped me develop and helped me prosper. Um, I could sit here for hours listing them off, but I think the big thing is that because it's kind of bubbly, in a way to me, it's kind of like cricket maybe was quite a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago, where it's beginning to get more and more professional and maybe in the future players and coaches won't be so accessible. But the fact that I could, like when you're in Holland, some of these people are massive celebrities or Argentina, they're massive celebrities and yet they're still quite approachable and quite real people um, who have uh, very interesting stories behind them. And in football, I think you get a lot less of that. Someone like Jack Grealish, I think, is a genuinely compelling character, someone who people can see as a real person. He's not just uh, a completely uh, managed personality where everything is sort of infinite detail really planned in hockey you get people real people um yeah so in terms of my involvement with it um i had my eyes open to the more elite performance side at university our coach was um former world number one goalkeeper and seeing his approach to things was quite uh stunning um standards he set again also i think he was very good at cracking down on some of the inappropriate behaviors of some of the players um and just he was able to deal with if you were someone who's trying to get in the England team or if you were someone who's just picking up a stick for a bit of fun, he could treat you fair and make sure you got what you needed to out of the sessions. Um, but it definitely showed me the elite performance side more. Then uh, I got quite into the coaching, took it seriously for a while and did that as kind of a, a part time job on top of my full time job. Um it ultimately probably wasn't for me because I needed a bit more security. Uh, I think I'm still fairly good on the technical side and on some of the psychology, but tactically I'm not fantastic at it. But I still, you know, whenever I go abroad uh, or if I'm umpiring or, or, or watching a match before I umpire, I always try and learn if I can. So there's a guy called Kevin Demartinez, De, De who's a coach of a club called Gantois that I'm very close with in, in Ghent. 
and listening to Kevin and to Pascal, who's the men's uh, coach, it's fantastic to listen to them, to hear their priorities, to see how they deal with players. You know, uh, people like Kevin and Pascal, they can how they can show their personality and how they can work with someone who needs to be shouted and screamed at and how they can put an arm around the shoulder of someone else uh, and the, how they can get the best out of them. And Kevin, for example, they've just won the third league title in a row. They went 93 games in a row winning, which is absolutely ridiculous. And, and people like Pascal, who've coached at the highest level, coaching Belgium, uh, winning everything. Um, so there's, there's that side of it. And then umpiring-wise, uh, so I I started doing it just to help out, to give back. Um, my girlfriend played for one of the teams at school and, and at, at my club, so it meant that I could spend a bit more time with her, I suppose. Um but uh, it was clear that I wasn't bad at it quite early on. One of my teachers told me that I, I had very good potential. I was put off taking it more seriously because back then it was very much a choice of you either play or you umpire. You couldn't do both. Interestingly, the best umpire in the world uh, who's umpired Olympic and World Cup finals is, plays in the highest domestic league in Belgium still has played for the indoor national team and has played for the outdoor national team as well. Um and they they still play in the highest league today, as well as being the best umpire in the world. So you can do both. But back then, that attitude wasn't unfortunately there. So I made the choice to focus on playing and, and coaching. But uh, as I got older, I started caring more about trying to umpire again. And then was beginning to go up the ranks, then stopped uh, for personal reasons. But then post-paralysis, I kind of thought, do you know what? I'm going to try and prove that you can overcome this, that paralysis and recovering from it isn't, going to stop me I, I didn't have any idea as to how high I could go I didn't necessarily think I would pass my assessments but I wanted to at least try and sort of see how that went um I've got an easy excuse if I missed something because I was literally blind so uh any players complaining I've got an easy out um but yeah I, I did it in Belgium initially I wanted to improve my French and my Flemish I was there for weekends so um I spoke to a friend of mine called Celine who umpires internationally and joined her club uh, just to help out and umpire matches and force myself to speak French. Um, that then led to the national assessment, which again, I did not expect to pass. Uh, it was a real nice surprise to pass it and to pass it so well. And then uh, had my assessment over here in England. Uh, I'm now part of uh, the National uh, National League umpires and part of the executive committee as well, trying to make the NPOA, which we call ourselves the NPOA, uh, more inclusive and more diverse as well. Um just umpired at the European Masters Championships uh, back in July, uh, which was an amazing experience working with international umpires, umpiring again in foreign language. You know, not everyone's English was amazing, so it's a matter of having to try and make sure you communicate in a very concise, clear way. Uh, lots of nonverbal communication as well, that sort of stuff. So it's it's a really good experience on that front. Um, but yeah, um, hockey's just, it's been there for me for such a long time. I've got some incredible friends for it. Um, I've met some inspirational people like Tess Howard, uh, Nikki Simmons, um, uh, people like Kevin, um, and, and seen people prosper and do so well, like James Albury, who's currently playing for the England and GB team. You know, I, I was his assistant coach when he played for Cambridge City. He's now one of the captains of the national team. Uh, I saw him a few weeks uh, back at uh, Lee Valley on a Pro League match and just said to him, like, the, the improvement he's had uh, is just wonderful to see the personality, the skill, the performance, everything. Um, 
and yeah because because hockey is still a relatively small sport you kind of do get to know everybody uh and it's just wonderful to see people prosper Sam, I've loved that answer. Just final one on this point, because I think it's so relevant to the listeners if they're just playing sports. But if you had to say three core like life skills from hockey, from different components, um, how's it helped you actually in the office environment? You know, even at Sport and Equals, I'm just curious. That is a question. So I think performance wise, particularly like learning the lessons of, of you know, listening to coaches and also um I, I went off and learned a little bit of basic Dutch so that I could understand what the coaches and players were saying. Because generally speaking, the Dutch are the best. Um, so it's, it's useful to understand what they're saying. Um, looking at every little thing you can do to make yourself better and make your team better. That was a big one for me. Um, so that can be on a skills basis. It can be on a behavioral basis. It can be supporting other people and being empathetic. With the umpiring, I would say taking criticism and feedback positively and really being able to understand their point of view and a big thing with umpiring is it's a game of angles we've got two of us on the pitch we've got completely different angles sometimes to each other and if we're being assessed the assessor has a completely different angle and what to one umpire could very definitely be a card could in no way whatsoever look like a card to the other person um so it's about debating it discussing it and then understanding okay I could adjust this next time or maybe I should think about it that way or also sometimes going no I'm right and I'm happy with what I did um but it's it's definitely umpiring particular performance level for the NPA it's really helped with looking back and reflecting on what I'm doing is it adding value is, is it the right thing to do and could I do it better next time and then the last of the three things uh I'd say it's it's for community it's the network um I, I take genuine pleasure in seeing all of these people prosper and doing so well and being happy. Um, when Belgium were over here playing in Pro League, it was a genuine delight to see so many players I hadn't seen for a while. Um, to have a hug and chat about how their league's going, how they're doing, as well as what they're doing off the pitch as well. But yeah, it's just it's the community and the people. That's the best bit of it. It's just it's so supportive. There's so many wonderful people out there uh, in the sport who help me and hopefully i've helped them a bit too um yeah it's fantastic that's what it's all about but let's get to today's podcast topic because for me um i'm really grateful what you've just shared there because it's such a reflection of the sports industry by the way the community aspect and people but with regards to today's podcast topic how important is it to have that sport equals approach in the sports industry i'd love to hear your thoughts on that yeah i think it's it's really important so sporting equals there's a lot of charities out there who who work in uh race equality and obviously a few in in sports specific and physical activity specific um each i think is just a little bit unique in what they're good at and what they specialize in for us we're very much results focused doing sort of tangible impact so lots of projects lots of meaningful change be it at a national level or be it a community grassroots level um i think if you look at our ceo aaron Aaron Kang, uh, he always is okay. Well, what, what are we going to? What is it that we're actually going to do? What are we going to change? How are we going to make it better? Um, so, it, very little of what we do is um, sort of about just making a fuss over nothing. It's really getting into the granular detail. Um, and Aaron's very good with that side of things. And 
some of it isn't nice it's not not the prettiest so something for example be the race representation index it wasn't um something that everyone was happy to see come in so race representation index looks at workforce data for national governing bodies and it looks at the diversity of senior leaders um so it's, it's clearly important but understandably some ngbs were going to be scared of it because they weren't going to be scoring very well on it uh and it, not necessarily through any malice or or deliberate actions it's just the natural consequence i mean i could take hockey as an example my sport is very white it's trying to be better there's definitely if you look particularly in the midlands a huge ethnically diverse community plays the game but very few of those players make it to the national age group or to the senior squads or into the coaching elite there's got to be a reason for that same for umpiring so if you make it there has to be a reason and it's not because they're not good enough um so doing things like the rri asks uncomfortable questions but you know there's really good ngbs out there who sorry by ngbs i mean national governing bodies who <clears throat> will embrace it so people like england athletics who really own it and want to be better and will do everything they can to be better um so that's kind of what we're about is looking at being a critical friend, supporting them, uh, looking at things like policy reviews to make sure that we're more inclusive in, in sport and physical activity, things like language, what's the impact of that, language, like things like banter, impacts of that. Um, and then at, at more of a grassroots level, it's it's giving examples of best practice and showing something that's scalable. So a really nice example would be something called Future Female Leaders that we did with Nike. Um, so this was a project where we took uh, 35 ethnically diverse women in London who wanted to get level one or level two coaching qualifications done. Not only were they funded, but they were also given access to role models. And that's a massive issue we found in sport is that there are not role models, particularly for women, particularly for ethnically diverse women. Uh, they can, they, who can they look at in the current sports world for, for coaches as examples? So we got them. First one, we had Anita Asante, who um, uh, used to play for England and also in the Great Britain London 2012 squad, and now coach at Bristol City. So she's just been commentating at the World Cup. Um, so she was able to talk them through her journey as a coach and help them realise that some of the barriers they're facing, some of the problems they face, she's done it and she's got through it. So maybe they can too. And we had people like Michelle Moore, who I think you've had on your podcast before as well, able to talk about things. We had Hope Powell, uh, probably one of the most legendary uh, football coaches, managers ever. Um, she came and critiqued them on their coaching technique and was able to give them each individual feedback on what they'd done. I mean, that's an incredible opportunity. And then people like Manisha Taylor, uh, who is the assistant head coach at Queen's Park Rangers Academy. She came and talked through her methodology how she thinks about structuring a session, the considerations to make. So we gave them not just the coaching qualifications themselves, but role models that they've now got access to to ask questions. But most importantly, and something that the women said themselves was they now had a community themselves that they could rely on. They have a WhatsApp group where they can talk to each other about problems they face or ideas they have. They go and support one another. Um, they they socialise on a regular basis still together. Um, so it's about building up these networks for them and helping them develop them themselves and become autonomous because without the intervention of someone like sporting equals and nike supporting it that doesn't happen um another really nice example is the sweaty betty project uh where <coughs> we, we did a great number. name 
Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it is. Iconic it is. men, carry on. Yeah, so we, we did, um, uh, well, I think we're going into the third or the fourth year now with, with um, the Sweaty Betty Foundation, but uh, a big one for me, and this is partly with my decathlon hat on, I guess, was doing user-led development of products. So we kind of got a group of ethnically diverse girls together and said, okay, what would help you become more active? What would you need? If we could put any product on the shelf, what would it be? So they took time to think about it, design it, and then they presented it almost in a Dragon's Den style format. And then that helped inform Sweaty Betty and plug some of the gaps in their knowledge on product design, because without those lived experiences, they can't fully understand what's needed, <clears throat> what will make it easier for them to get into sport, to get into physical activity. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell <laughs> what Sporting Equals does. Can we just dig deep of that? reply because i think there's important learning points here and like to bring in michelle moore which was such a privilege to have on the podcast and you know what i love about sporting equals it isn't just raising awareness it's backing up with programs and it's implementing new change from a habit perspective and also integrating it in society but to take a massive step back i'm going to be honest we're both white and we sometimes make assumptions of other ethnic like communities and i just would love to hear your thoughts why the educational piece is important. I know it's a buzzword education, but with Michelle, when I read her book, Real Wins, it took me a step back going, ah, okay, Ed, you need to be mindful of certain aspects, which maybe I've taken for granted. And the reason I want to share this to the listeners is hopefully this is a safe learning environment. But I think mindfulness in my experience is really key of part of the awareness, part of putting the programs and then implementing it into a, a society standpoint. So I'd just love to hear your thoughts, Simon, from that perspective, from what I've just said. So the fact is, you know, being a white, straight man, I'm I have had a fairly privileged life, and that's you know, that's just a fact. Um, by being disabled, I have some small insight to what it's like. Um, through friends, family, I've been exposed to little bits here and there. But that's very different to living it every single day and it becoming just part of your life. Um, uh, I remember a colleague uh, in an old job um, on a following the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, really gathering pace. We had a, a video call where a number of us were just kind of like talking about what could we do to to be better and to to support this and to show that it's not just a token gesture. And he was given a platform to just talk about his everyday experiences. And every single person on the call cried, Just the, not just because it was bad what he was saying, but it was so normal for him that this was just accepted normality that when he's walking down the street, people cross because he's black um, or that people ask him where he's from and then ask him where he's from again because he's not really from London, is he? That sort of thing. Um, like He is London through and through. Born there, lived there the whole of his life. And generation or two back, some of his family weren't from London, but he's very much London. Um, and it's that sort of that sort of stuff that it's it's harder to experience firsthand as as a straight white male. Um I think the big things I've learned at Sporting Equals is things like uh the importance of language. Um that being specific. So we we did a campaign to not use the word BAME um or bame that you need to be more specific and that goes into everything we say when it comes to if you want to try and be a more ethnically diverse sport 
you need to set yourself proper targets, not just have a catch-all of saying, we want more people who are not white. That's not enough because each community has different needs and different priorities, and you need to look at how do you meet those needs? How do you make them feel welcome? And for some, like, for some of them, particularly with something like the Breaking Boundaries project we did, understanding that if you just do it for a sports centre or for a sports club, then for some communities that will not work because they don't see sport as being for them or they only see it as being for a select group. Whereas if you go it through, say, faith centres or community centres, they go there already and you can get them a bit more active and you can address some of the inequalities by being very specific. So on the language side, it's understanding uh, that you need to sometimes say explicitly that people are welcome or, or uh, you know, a common one with recruitment is when you're making sure that it's clear you're speaking to women as well as men and it's the same when you're looking at ethnic diversity another one would be things like cultural sensitivities so um again using hockey as the example because it's one i know best there's a lot of coaches who won't understand the impact of certain cultural or religious festivals on things like dietary needs or availability for matches availability for training and those who maybe come from uh more of a passive Christian background, sort of get a bit excited about Christmas, but it's, it's you know, but, but how many religious holidays necessarily are they experiencing that really impact their availability to go to training? And to some coaches, it's seen as a lack of uh, investment, a lack of caring or a lack of professionalism from, on the athlete's side when it's 100% not. It's just that is what life is for them and, that, and it's important and they need to be able to respect it. So it's a matter of what do we do in sport to make sure that that can be facilitated and they're able to have the opportunity to train, to play, to compete, as well as make sure they're able to address their own desires in terms of their religious convictions and so on. Um, so it definitely there's, there's that element of it. Uh, and then policy-wise, it's about empowering uh, through the sport and through policy to make sure that everyone's made as welcome as possible and that uh, things like access to prayer rooms, knowledge of, of, of opportunities to pray. So with hockey, we can say to people, okay, if you want to umpire a national league level, we'll do what we can to support you. And if you let us know that you need to be able to go and pray at certain times, we will avoid pointing you to matches, which would deny you the opportunity to do that. So it's kind of understanding how can we be there and be more supportive and, open up these opportunities for people better and final things i think this is important i literally did a a webinar literally last night on gender race inclusion and diversity and i think that's where i met aram actually at the sega um sega sport integrity week last year is the way we communicate it the way we message our messages email verbal meetings because that's what made me from the session i did on webinar i made more mindful of like how we use the type of words we use can influence the reaction instead of the going with a collaborative approach. I love the one you've just given there with the prayer and the umpire can, you know, there's that understanding, but how vital is that? Not just from a policy standpoint, but how it's reflected in the real world, meaning on the streets as well, because that's where we want the change to happen. That makes sense. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that side of things. Yeah. So in terms of how do we communicate to, um, to to ethnically diverse people and and at every level show their welcome both to them and also to to people who aren't ethnically diverse as well it's a lot of different things so i think for an example use of imagery um so there's been this 
stuff in the news recently where um can't his name uh but there's a, a chap who's a, a farmer um and i believe he's a member of conservative party as well despite being attacked by some of the conservative mps for saying this but he said you know here's a great picture of the women's football team but where's the diversity and it happens i think it was something like oh they're all blonde and blue-eyed he said and yeah they are some of the best players but how hard would it have been to throw in carter or james into that as well just have one of those four people be one of them and then that just shows to girls boys who are ethnically diverse that that sport is also there for them rather than it just being the white players and that's maybe not something they necessarily think about it's probably not a deliberate action to be excluding that representation but understanding the impact and the power it can have to do that so i'm responsible for my club social media uh for cambridge city and we as much as possible will show the full club so we have people who are olympians ex-olympians aspiring olympians they are you know fit athletic slabs of beef running around with a hockey stick and then we also have people who look like me who uh, are maybe a little bit less aerodynamic um and then we have people with you know gray hair people who are mums returning we have people who are black asian whatever we show the whole sport and as a rule i try to do boy girl boy girl boy girl in my posts uh, but i also will try and show first team down to sixth or seventh team young people from 13 14 up to 85 uh, and celebrate everyone in terms of who they are as an athlete what they do on the pitch that sort of thing um so with with the ethnic diversity hat on it's about showing and the communication in terms of the images you choose in terms of the language you choose that these are role models and they're there to be celebrated and that i think if you look at this particular case of the paper where it had four four pictures of, of white women would it really have been taking away from a narrative to put one of those two ethnically diverse people who've been playing for for England and doing so well, particularly, you know, Carter has been... Carter, un- unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, carry on. She's been brilliant. She's been amazing. Come to be one of the best defenders in the tournament and, and probably Lauren James, if she hadn't had that unfortunate red card, would have been one of the attacking highlights of the tournament. Um, how hard would it really have been to, to put one of them in? Um, and it's not being tokenistic. It's being fair. Those are two of the best players in the world, not just in England, but in the world. <laughs> And the importance, the impact it can have showing, and, and then that, that touches on things like the, the Seeing is Believing project that we've done with Sky Sports. One of the big things from that was we've made a physical exhibition which shows four South Asian women of South Asian heritage who are in the professional game. And a powerful thing for me was when we took it to the soft launch, hearing and speaking with uh, parents and young girls who were seeing this for the first time and seeing, oh, Okay, it can you know I didn't know it's for for girls who are South Asian. Now I do. I'm happy for my daughter to take part, or knowing it's a real career opportunity, and that that then makes it okay for them potentially to get into it because they can see there's an actual return on it. And if I'm lucky. I've seen the return on sport for me, which is the friends, the help with mental health, the improvement in my understanding of how to be better competitive when it comes to professional stuff, etc they've been denied that and by showing them just in this easy physical exhibition of four women plus a timeline of of south asian women in in sport and in football 
suddenly it's opened up for these thousands of girls who've seen it now who are now going to be allowed to play and be able to play because they can see that that, that it's there for them as well. 100%. Could we also talk about the programmes? I want to talk about the base programme because that caught my eye on uh, LinkedIn. That's how we got connected. And for me, I just love seeing programmes that are different, but I, I love the bit it was all about excellence through sport. So could you just touch on that, please? Because I think that's a great programme and actually a great case study for students from a policy programme standpoint as well. Sure. So uh, BASE is British Asians for Sporting Excellence. Um, so we've done uh, a number of different projects at, at uh, Sporting Equals, uh, both South Asian specific, but also British Asian in general. And across the sports sector, I think you can see that there is improvements in terms of participation. So uh, the FA, for example, have just released some promising figures in terms of South Asian participation for women. Um, and whilst it is great to see that general participation is improving, it's also very vitally about seeing role models in elite performance athletes and elite performance coaches and, and referees, umpires, officials succeeding as well. And we were talking earlier about on uh, national media, there being maybe a lack of coverage of and a lack of representation. What BASE does is help to address this. So it's an advisory group who can support national governing bodies and the wider sports sector in being more inclusive, uh, being more welcoming, more supportive for British Asian people to be an elite sport. So they do that by being comprised of uh, coaches, uh, athletes, potentially officials and administrators. So we've launched uh, with with five members to start with. So we have Ayaz Buta, uh, who is um, a wheelchair basketball and uh, rugby, I believe, uh, Paralympic gold medalist, then Hajj Barnia, who was one of the coaches for one of those Paralympic games for him. Uh, then we have Zaina Butt, who is a very impressive uh, woman. She's, I think, only 21, but she already has a British Empire medal uh, for her contributions to sport. I should also say that Ayaz has an MBE, um, uh, but she she works. she's a, a member of uh, Saracen's under-21 squad in the England mixed netball team. Uh, and already doing wonderful things uh, for inclusion and also as, as a performance athlete. Then we have um, Gudua Dalawal, who is the chair of the Kausa Sports Federation. Um, so, sorry, Kausa Football Federation. Uh, so someone who understands what it's like to run sport, understands the challenges that uh, athletes face in terms of their pathways to try and be involved in elite sport. And then finally, Manisha Taylor, uh, MBE, who we, we've spoken about a little bit already, um, but someone who uh, is just such a confident uh, coach and someone who people really can look to as, as an inspiration, uh, someone who's proven that women, ethnically diverse women, South Asian women belong in sport, belong in positions of authority uh, and impact. Um, so they'll be meeting periodically, looking at what can NGBs do uh, it might be sometimes they're passing comments on something happening in the news and, and giving a voice for British Asians on a topic. It could be that they're offering advice on how to improve elite talent pathways. Uh, you can look at so many different sports where at a participation level, things are getting better, but for a variety of reasons, they're not making it through to the elite pathway system and, and, and graduating. And I, I think 
more often than not, it's, it's not necessarily down to a lack of talent or, or a lack of dedication. It, it's it's many other factors. So by setting up base, we're making sure that there's an opportunity to support people. It's not about being critical. It's about giving the advice and the support and holding the hand of the NGBs, national governing bodies, and making sure that they can be better and more inclusive. Would you say one of the impacts of this whole program itself is creating that pathway, but also that more equal access as well? I would say a little bit, yes, it's about equal access, but it's also about equitable access. Um, and it's it's the, the real side of it that a lot of coaches, national governing bodies, etc., don't necessarily understand why certain behaviours or choices are being made, what they perceive as choices uh, are being made by the athletes but are potentially in the talent pathway. And it's understanding and how can those opportunities be tailored better to support them. So if performance is dropping because it's in the middle of Ramadan, it's understanding what the impact of fasting is and why it's important as well to do this for them. Um, it's about understanding uh, cultural sensitivities about why they may or may not be able to wear a certain item of clothing and how that can be supported uh, rather than it being a problem, see it as an opportunity. And um, their part, uh, Helen Richardson-Walsh often speaks about um, diversity and thought was one of, and, and, and experience was one of the reasons that uh, the, the Great Britain hockey women's team did so well and won the gold medal in Rio. And whilst they weren't the most ethnically diverse squad, they did have diversity of experience and bringing people in who have that strength of character and have those experiences will make them perform better as a team. And it's about seeing that as a strength rather than a problem. 100%. I love that example you said right at the end. So I'm just going back to your career now. Out of interest, what have you enjoyed the most from your career journey looking back right now? I would say it's probably the people. Um, that's the consistent thing for me. Uh, I can I can give examples of, of tangible work, things like the Vision Project um, at Decathlon. Uh, reading for a part of it was we got uh, thousands of people to write about what they want the world to be in 10 years time and seeing what was important in Colombia, uh, what was important in Australia, what was important in um, South Africa, all these different parts of the world. And you, you don't realize the things which are important to them, we take for granted. <laughs> um, so that was a big eye opening thing for me. Um, uh, sporting equals definitely the things like the future female leaders hearing the impact it's had on those women as coaches, the impact of that community they've fostered things like seeing our exhibition at events and the impact it has on little girls that they can do football or that boys can see that it's also there for them. And that's a really important thing is that boys need to understand that women can also be the role model. And the ethnically diverse women can be the role model as well. It's not just about being the next messy. It's it. There's so many different role models out there, and so many you can take from it. But yeah, it always goes back to to me. It's for people. That's the thing I enjoy most about my career. What I enjoy most about what I do. It's for people. I I have such sincere affection for people like Charlie Felgate. Taught me an enormous amount working on the Vision Project. People like Marta and Coralie, who I worked with in terms of like just being human, really caring and just feeling listened to by those two. People like Gautier Wingard, who's, who worked with me on the hockey project at Decathlon, who's just relentlessly positive and able to get everyone excited and, and a, a real testament to someone who's 
uh, tenacious. When I first met him, he did not speak English and basically refused to speak English. He's now pretty much fluent. He, he wouldn't admit that, but he is. And he was terrified of learning English. And now he is able to talk with players in any country, talk about contract negotiation, talk about their performance, talk about his family, all these different things. And all these people, and I could go on and on and on and on, but all these people just they're what sport is for me and why you know i i'm not bad at marketing communication uh and it's my opportunity to help other people have access to people like charlie Marta, coralie gautier ryan etc andy david get that experience meet these people have the impact they've had on me and that's what i'm trying to do well i can tell with your tone of voice and your body language with regards to the passion side of that answer as always, Simon, I'd like to finish with an inspirational one and feel free to recap relating to your experience. But what three tips would you give to a listener with regards to pursuing a career in the sports industry in general? What would they be? I would say listen. Uh, be prepared to listen to those around you and listen to your audience, uh, uh, not to assume you're right. <laughs> um, it, it, listening to the audience is so important because you what you think is the message they need to get could be completely wrong. Uh, so listen to the feedback you get be that website traffic there's a great example I could give from London 2012 uh, where website traffic rocketed to a specific page and it made absolutely no sense Uh, so we looked at it and we realized very quickly we'd made a pretty silly mistake on there and getting that attention listening to the audience helped us identify that mistake listening to them in terms of what's important on your product what makes your USP what you think is USP might not be what they think the USP is and they can make life much easier for you if you listen to them. Um, the next one, I guess, would be tenacity. It's the determination to keep going and to believe in yourself and to think that what you're doing matters. You know, I'm lucky. What I do, I care about. I really think it matters. And that isn't easy. It's not always the case in every job you do. But having that tenacity and understanding that you've got to fight for what you believe in and, and try your best to make it happen and rely on others listen to others that tenacity can get you through it and i think that's where being in sports helped um obviously i think being paralyzed was a difficult experience and had it not been for sport i probably wouldn't necessarily have the same tenacity and the same motivation and focus to spend my 30 day 30 minutes of the day that i could doing something on a treadmill trying to build up muscle again trying to get stronger again um so it's, it's about tenacity i'd say and then the last one kind of goes back to what I was just saying a moment ago about being a team player, um, being willing to, in my team, I I don't care about where they sit in terms of their job title. I care what they think, their experiences. I am very happy for Colby and Ellie and my team to challenge me, to disagree with me. As long as it's done in a constructive way, that's fantastic. I'm happy to listen to anyone else in the organization. Ask, them, ask me why and me ask them why, what do they think? And being the team player, understanding that we're all in this together and we can pitch in, we can help out, um, you know, often doing the jobs that don't necessarily fit within our job role, but it's for the wider benefit that we do it. And that's what it's about. So those are my three things. I guess it's listening, it's tenacity, and it's being a team player. Love it. Absolutely love it. Particularly that point of the being a good team player, because that's where you can implement that from sport when you participate. Out of interest, Simon, how can people interact with you and Sporting Equals from a social media standpoint? Where are the best places to go? So for Sporting Equals, it's quite simple. The handle we have for every channel is Sporting Equals. 
and on LinkedIn, just look for Sporting Equals, you'll find us. Then for myself or Instagram, it's uh, Simon Webb Photography, or one word where you'll see lots and lots and lots of hockey photos and long rants about how fabulous everyone in hockey is. Uh, for Twitter, it's One Love SAW, which is a nice little throwback to Simon Webb from Blue. Everyone's always disappointed when they're not met with an incredibly handsome black man with the voice of an angel. Um, but that's me on Twitter. Uh, and then, I'm, of course, I'm on LinkedIn as well. That is great. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website with regards to this podcast chat. Simon, it's been a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Very much. I enjoyed it. What insightful conversation with Simon. And for me, I hope you enjoyed this from an equality and equity standpoint of the sports industry. I think it's a really important point for me to highlight that as much as there's so much development in the sports industry, it's so important to make sure there's equal access to everybody in the sports industry and there's equal representation on and off the sports field. And for me, this is a component of the podcast I'm so glad I highlight on the show. As much as I want you, yes, you to develop in the sports industry, but it's really important to have these important conversations about being mindful of culture, understanding how to communicate effectively, the use of education, and going back to the word mindful again of different communities, ethnicities, and groups having their own culture embedded in sport. So it's not just an identity standpoint, it's more that we can live a lifestyle, how sport can influence change, but most importantly, have an influence of society from a bigger picture. So for me, I really enjoyed that conversation with Simon, and it was a great reminder for me of, again, using this word, I think mindfulness is the best way I interpret how I showcase myself in the sports industry with every piece of work I do. There's that equality and equity and integrity standpoint that is so important in the sports industry and the way we work. From a sports career development standpoint, relating to his last reply with those tips of Sunica in the sports industry, without a doubt, make sure you listen. I'm so glad he mentioned that, Simon, that the power of listening is how you really become an effective communicator. And then the second part, which I really resonated with, was be a team player. I think this is so underestimated and it's so important it's something you can learn if you play team sports you can really transfer those skills in a working environment that being a team player is so important it showcases your enthusiasm it showcases what you bring to the table and how you add value it's just a subtle reminder but being a team player can make you stand out in the work you do in the sports industry and the direction you want to go so without a doubt apply that to your sports career development now and make it happen. Now, as always, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Simon said, listen to the people around you, show care in the work you do, and be a team player.